So, any questions tonight? Yes? I have a question, Raj, about Sapani uh, Upanishad. There is this section where um, the presiding deities of uh, 12 forests of Vindavana are mentioned. And uh, I'm kind of confused because there is something kind of not much Raja Bhakti uh, mood. So, how to understand it and why, and why is it? Well, that's a complex kind of a question for the, the group, seeing that there's a considerable lack of familiarity with the, the subject. <laughs> so, we'll defer your question to a, to a smaller group of those who are more familiar with that uh, kind of uh, esoteric subject so that we don't speak over the... Um, heads of those who are less familiar. Some more general questions would be appropriate, given that we have some guests who aren't acquainted with our lineage. Hi. I have a question. How do I stop having questions? How to stop having questions? I wanted to know more about Paramatma. Paramatma. Um, I don't really understand why... I thought it existed in the material world, but not in the spiritual world. I don't. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, some so I can try to speak about that in a broader way, that everybody will be included. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Paramatma. So you, you might be familiar with the term atma. Atma means. Atma, a very kind of uh, general translation, and I'll, I'll explain why. For the Atma is Alma, hmm, or soul. Hmm. Um, I say it's a very general translation because soul is an English word. Uh, alma is a European and now Latin word. Uh, um, and Atma is a is a word from the East from the uh, from the Sanskrit language, and um, although it might be said that 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 today there's a the East West is a false dichotomy because we live in a world where we're so much in touch with one another and so forth, and uh, here we are Westerners with an Eastern kind of setting and and so forth. Still, there are very distinct mindsets, East and West. And this word Atma helps us to appreciate that fact, in that when we translate it as soul, it doesn't really entirely do justice to to the concept, because you can ask in English and probably in Spanish, hmm, do you believe in the soul? Hmm? Seems like a valid question, right? Do you believe in a soul? Hmm? But the word Atma, you cannot ask, properly understood, you can't ask the question, do you believe in the Atma? Hmm? That's an interesting point, because what the Atma is, hmm, according to the texts, the sacred texts of the Vedanta, Yoga, the Hindus, and so forth of the East, what the Atma is, is 
is consciousness. So we can't ask the question, do you believe in consciousness? Hmm. It requires consciousness to ask the question. Hmm? Without consciousness, we can't ask the question, do you believe in consciousness? So it's not a question of believing hmm? or not. Hmm? But the soul, for example, let's say in Christianity, it's, a, it's an interesting point that in the Bible it's not mentioned. That's the main book of Christianity, either the Old Testament or the New Testament. The soul is not uh, really mentioned. So what, the, where the Christian's idea of the soul comes from largely is either from the Platonic idea of Plato, hmm, which is very Eastern comparatively, and Greece is pretty far east <laughs> as far as the West goes. And as you may know, historically there was there's reason to believe, good reason to believe that there was commerce and interaction between Greece and India. After all, Alexander was a Greek, and he's said to have conquered India at some point. Hmm? So, so the Platonic idea that was incorporated to some extent into Christianity is very similar to the Eastern idea, but there's also a Thomistic, I don't mean that in the Tamaguna, but uh, the Thomists, of the, of the Catholic faith. Uh, interestingly enough, St. Thomas of the Catholics was, was said to have gone to India. Hmm? He's the one, the doubting Thomas, you know, who who didn't, ha- had some questions, then he was, apparently he was shown something that he would believe, hmm? seeing is believing. So, uh, there's a shrine for him, actually, in his, uh, commemorating his visit to India and so forth. Hmm? But the Thomists, Following St. Thomas, you know, Christianity had this way of incorporating a lot of different ideas and expanding itself to kind of keep the church, the Catholic church, that is, together. They follow a more Aristotelian idea of the soul. Although Aristotle was a follower of Plato, he had some of his own ideas, his original thinker as well. So there is not, I want to say, in the Abrahamic religions, a very clear idea about the soul, although the word is often used. When I was a young, when I was a kid, I was raised in a Catholic family. And so they talked about the soul, and I used to think of this glowing thing around maybe in my heart that I must be careful not to get any spots on hmm? <laughs> or any holes in it. No venial sins would be the spots, and the holes in it would be the mortal sins. So, so but as I say, in the uh, in the uh, essential and mystical tradition of the East, um, that yoga and uh, and bhakti and so with Hinduism in, in, in general, Vedanta comes out of <clears throat> the concept of the Atma is a very clear concept, hmm? and as I say, it's not something you can believe or not believe in. You could define it in different ways. What is consciousness? So there are people today, for example, that want to define consciousness hmm, materially. Hmm? Because for a long time in science, there was no interest in consciousness because it was thought that the world is like a machine and all the parts are there and we know them and they work like a clock and uh, and so forth. But that idea has kind of fallen apart. The clock has gone off and... And who knows what time it is. Uh, so what is the nature of the objective world? What is the nature of matter? These are huge speculations 
conjectures based on empirical evidence, there are very diverse conceptions of what matter is, if matter is even. Idealism even even, even is getting a, some energy these days, the idea that there is no world, objective world, it's only thought. and So there's many, many, many conceptions out there. And this kind of problem, if you will, a good problem in science of realizing that the, to whatever extent it's been realized that the mechanistic world doesn't really explain the world very well, that has given rise to interest in what is consciousness. So there's a lot of schools of thought in philosophy of mind and science about the nature of, of consciousness, So, and many of them um, are materialistic in their nature, and so they want to define consciousness as a function, for example, of the brain. Hmm? They can't quite find it in there. They can't quite find the neuron that says, I am, hmm? and I feel like this, and so forth. It's very um, illusory, to say the least. And of course, from the perspective of yoga and Vedanta, we'd say, well, the reason you're having a hard time finding it in the brain is because it's not in the brain, and it can't be reduced to the brain. And a materialistic um, definition of consciousness uh, is illogical and... Um, it's um, it's a, de- a definition and a way of looking at consciousness, a way of speaking about consciousness that no one can walk. You're supposed to be able to walk your talk, as they say. Uh, that makes for a good person who's got those you know coordination, little coordination there between what you speak and what you do. Hmm? But no one can walk the talk that consciousness is um, is just a function of the brain which means nothing has any meaning. Hmm? What I mean by that <laughs> is that if consciousness is, is just a function of the brain, it, it mean, if it can be reduced to the brain, then the brain is nothing more than what um, anything else is made out of, materially speaking. The classic example would be a pool billiard balls. If you have two billiard balls and you bounce them up against one another... Hmm? You never expect one to say, ouch. Hmm? <laughs> right? You never expect these non-experiencing physical manifestations to suddenly have experiences. That would be, like, rather <laughs> magical. Hmm? If the pool ball said, could you put a little chalk on the end of that stick? Uh, you know, that hurt the last time. So we, never, we laugh because it's absurd. But there's nothing in the brain that's any different than the basic constituents that make up a billiard ball. Hmm? It may be a different arrangement of the same things, hmm? but no one would think, I can arrange this billiard ball in some way, in time, give me time, and it will start talking and feeling and say I am and have, have opinions and, and, uh, and posit meaning and value and so on and so forth. The basic idea here being that experience does not arise out of non-experience. That makes sense. Hmm? And the idea that consciousness is reducible to the brain would be an idea that, that, that matter is all there is. And matter is the only thing that matters. The problem is, of course, matter wouldn't matter without consciousness. Hmm? Consciousness does the mattering. Hmm? So the very idea of materialism hmm, as a philosophy, for example, is arising from consciousness. Hmm? So to dismiss it and make it secondary and 
epiphenomenal or an emergent property of the brain that we could take or leave that has no place in evolution. That's an interesting point, of course, because it's thought that in evolution, species adapt in ways to better survive. Hmm? So we find consciousness in a material scenario emerging from the brain in human society and the thought that I am arises in a prominent way that doesn't arise in the plant life or in animal life unless we make cartoons about animals and they think like we do. So we, 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 when this, this self-awareness arises in human life, from an evolutionary point of view, it should have some purpose to help preserve the species. But it could be argued that really what it does is, is create all types of problems, existential problems. Hmm? Rather than helping me, it makes me wonder, do I exist? Should I exist? Why would I exist? Maybe I don't really exist. Uh, and, and so it kind of gets in the way, so to speak, of just the brute force that may be necessary to survive. Hmm? So we don't think from the yogic perspective that consciousness is an emergent property of the brain or that's reducible to matter, but that it's actually a different, ontologically a different substance altogether. Hmm? And it's an experiential reality rather than a non-experiential reality. And because it's not material, it's not confined by time and space, so it has no beginning, it has no end. And that's an atma. An atma is, to make a long story short, is a small unit of this stuff called consciousness, which is pretty interesting stuff. Hmm? In other words, there's nothing interesting outside of consciousness. Without consciousness, there's nothing to be interested in. There's not, there's no interested, there's no interest. There's things, but there's no interest in them. Hmm? Interest arises from consciousness, do you understand? Thinking, feeling, willing, positing value and meaning and so forth. All this comes from the subjective world, not the objective world. And in one sense, the whole exercise of yoga is to, is to transfer our orientation from the objective world to the subjective world. Hmm? Instead of saying, oh, it's only in your mind, and dismissing it, mind has more power hmm, than matter. Hmm? It's only in your mind. Only. No. Hmm? It's, it's more spacious, mind, and beyond that, consciousness proper, more accommodating, hmm? more possibilities lie there, than in the objective world with which we are identified, which is so limited, hmm, in which we fight against the limitations of in a human form. We fight against it. We feel like we could be more than what the mind and I uh, tell us. Hmm? And we, we not only we can be more, the yogic answer is you are more. Hmm? You are the more. And you can realize that. So, Atma... Hmm, is a is kind of a unit, if you will, uh, of of consciousness, and all of us are units of consciousness. We are all individual, but we are all uniform. We are all sat chit ananda is our nature, and we have the possibility of being nurtured, hmm? which means that we can realize a potential in a particular environment without which we could not. And that brings in the paramatma idea.
So atma and param. Parama means like supreme or something like that. Supernatural. Super, super supernatural. So the atma is supernatural. It's not part of the natural world. I mean the physical world. It gives the physical world meaning and so forth and value. And the paramatma means like the source of the atma. So if we could imagine a sun and then rays of the sun, the atma would be like a ray of the sun and the paramatma would be like the sun. And so we as units of atma, units of consciousness, we naturally seek out our source, just like we do materially. Materially, at a certain point in your life, you, you want to know about your source. You want to you, you ask even your parents, maybe, you know, what was I like when I was a kid? Where, where did I grow up? What was it like there? Or, or if you don't know your parents, you want to, you want to find out. Hmm? You, you, we have a natural, inborn, kind of innate tendency to seek out our origins. Hmm? Because our actual origin as an Atma is a very affectionate one. Hmm? It's a loving one. Hmm? After all, we're a ray of the son of the Paramatma. Hmm? And so we have some capacity to love. Hmm? Because the Atma emanates from the Paramatma out of love. Because the one, it is said in the Vedanta, Eko Bahu Sham. The one desired to become many. Why? Mm. For no reason. Hmm? Out of joy. Out of the fullness of itself. It decided to become many. Hmm? And loving will be facilitated by the more that are involved, so to speak. So the one becomes many. It's not an event in time, of course. It's just a way of talking about it. But But the point is, we are born out of love. So we have some capacity to love. We're a unit of loving capacity. Indeed, the Atma is what's lovable. It's said in the the Vedanta and the Upanishads, it's not the wife that is lovable. It's not the husband that is lovable. It's not the house that is lovable, but the Atma. Hmm? And it's true. Because, in one sense, the reason we love our house is because we think it's ours. That means the Atma has projected itself into a material thing and, by the word my, hmm, identified with it. And so now it has value. Because I'm in it. Hmm? So if you trace it out, it's the Atma that has the capacity to, 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 to love and that is, that is, that is joyful and is, is an object of love in the world. Hmm? So one little word, my, has big implications. Hmm? When you th- I think something is mine, then I start to create an identity based on the my, which is a false identity and obscures the fact that I'm an Atma and that the, the real basis of love is, is, is the self. Hmm? rather than the constructed self. We have a word in Sanskrit, ahankar. It means, literally means aham, means I, and kara means maker, or to make. So, I maker. Hmm? So, it means that by the word my, we make an I. Hmm? We say, it is my country, and I am a tiko, hmm? for example. If you think about it, our my determines our I, but that I is a made-up I. It's made up. 
It's a conventional ego that that is based on identification with matter and a sense of possessiveness of certain transformation of matter. Hmm? The house, and it will turn into from dust to dust, ashes to ashes, and so forth. Hmm? I've identified with it, and, 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 and so an I comes out of that, but that is a false I. That is the false self. That is the self that needs to be destroyed. That's the one that gets in the way of our communing with one another and loving one another. That self. Hmm? That material ego. But if we deconstruct the material ego, hmm? well, somebody has to do the deconstructing. Hmm? So there's a higher I, if you will. Hmm? Not I am American or I am African, but I am. I'm not this or that, which it means part of the objective world, but I am, that's for sure. Hmm? So this, come to, coming to I am, we all have something in, in, in common now. We are all, we are a part of the ground of being. We're sat, we're chit, we're ananda. Hmm? But one thing is to move away from what we're not. Another thing is to move in relation to what we are. So we are consciousness. Hmm? Move away from what we're not and move in relation to our source. This is the idea of bhakti. So for the atma to make a union with the paramatma, hmm? to find its source, to trace out its source. Hmm? And again, we do that naturally. We kind of look for our source. Yoga and bhakti is a system for honing that tendency hmm? so that you can be successful in the, in the largest sense of the term. Finding your origins... And and finding that your your interest in your origin is is understandable because it is a loving origin and a nourishing origin. Now that said, hmm, this paramatma is only one feature, if you will, of the Godhead. The Godhead is unit is, is unitary, hmm, one, but nonetheless has different faces. Hmm? Like I said, we are all satchitananda. You all understand those words, right? Sat means like existence, means meaningful existence. It doesn't undergo the death or birth. Sat, chit, chit means, sat means we exist in an enduring way. Chit means cognizance or, or luminosity. Hmm? Like the light. You don't need a light to light up a light. Hmm? So the self is luminous, knowing. Hmm? Knowledge is often compared to light. So the self is a unit of knowing. Hmm? So when we say the self is consciousness, we mean it is luminous and it can illuminate. Because sometimes we think of consciousness only in terms of perception. I perceive things. Hmm? That's an aspect of consciousness. The light is luminous and it also lights up other things. Hmm? So the lighting up of other things is what we call perception. Hmm? So it's an aspect of the Atma, which is luminous, chit. Hmm? It's sat, it's chit, and it's ananda. Hmm? Ananda means it's an object of love. It has the capacity to love. Hmm? And it exists, it knows, hmm? and it and its purpose is to love. Hmm? It can know, if you could know the extent to which you exist, then you would have no problems. You would have no fear, no anxiety. Hmm? And from that position, 
Well, arguably you could love, because we shouldn't enter into a loving relationship if we're too needy, it said. <laughs> so put it on the metaphysical kind of framework. Hmm? In order to love spiritually and wisely, you have to become a little wise. Hmm? You have to become full and know that I exist, I don't need anything to exist. I don't have to have anything to exist. Hmm? I exist independently of things. Hmm? And I'm I'm a, I'm a knower. Hmm? The knowledge of this world is relative. Hmm? I'm speaking in a higher, absolute sense. So when we when we become acquainted with this atma, hmm? then there's there's something the atma can do. That's love to make union with its source. Now, so that said, satchitananda is our qualities. Let's say the the elemental constituents of the atma. It's a unit of being, knowing. And loving. It's not hard to, hard to appreciate or understand because in this world, without consciousness, there's no sense of being, there's no sense of knowing, and there's no sense of joy or loving. Matter doesn't have any of these sensibilities. Consciousness does. So arguably, if consciousness could be disentangled from its identification with matter, what would it be? A pure unit of being, knowing, and loving. That said, if the Paramatma is our source, then there should be being, knowing, and loving in the Godhead also, right? Kind of in a large way. Hmm? Being, knowing, and loving. Because hmm? we are the ray, in the analogy I gave earlier, of the sun, hmm? of, the, of, the, of the absolute. So... We have the same qualities, so to speak, in a, in a, in a, in, a, in minute. Hmm. Hmm. Um, size. Hmm. So, in small, hmm. uh, in, in part. So, now, because there's sat, chit, and ananda, hmm, being, knowing, and loving, these are, in one sense, three phases of the life of the Absolute. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Let's say you there, is ex- there could be an existence, right, that was not knowing. Like, let's say matter is, a, is an existence that's not knowing or aware of itself. Right? So there can be existence without knowledge. But there cannot be a knowledge without existence. You follow? Now, there could be a knowing existence, but it need not be a loving existence. Right? But if there's a loving existence, then it also has to know and be. Hmm? So when we speak about the Absolute in terms of Sat, Chit, and Ananda, hmm, then there are three faces of the Absolute, so to speak, that represent primarily Sat, primarily Chit, and primarily Ananda. Hmm? Each one is composed of all three, but each one will have an emphasis on one over the other. Hmm? And then we find in, 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 in pursuit of the Atma, three basic schools. Hmm? And the, 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 the methodology that they pursue corresponds with one of these faces of the Absolute, either the being feature, the knowing feature, 
or the, the loving feature, hmm? primarily. Hmm? So, for example, there's the school of, of jnana, of knowledge in, in Vedanta. Hmm? This school is focused on the being aspect, sat aspect of the absolute Brahman. It exists. Hmm? It's qualityless, formless, all-pervasive. Hmm? It's, it's an eternal existence. It's aware and it's blissful hmm? because it's not confined by matter hmm? and subject to the problems that arise from identification with matter. Hmm? But the balance of these three, Sat, Chit, Ananda, in Brahman, Sat has the greater balance. Now if we go to Chit, we come to the Paramatma. Hmm? So the Paramatma is our source, but it's only one phase or one face of the Godhead. Hmm? This Paramatma, the feature of Chit is prominent in the Paramatma, knowing. Hmm? And the method for approaching it is Astanga Yoga. Hmm? If you study a Yoga Sutta, for example, the idea is to become omniscient. Hmm? You may note in Yoga Sutra is is a dualistic idea. There is the Ishwar, there is the Yogeshwar, and there's the Yogi or the Yogini. Hmm? There's the Ishwar, and Ishwar Pranidhan is recommended. Hmm? We should supplicate ourselves before the Ishwar and meditate on the. This is most highly recommended in in, in the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali. Now, if you want to study and look and see who is Patanjali, hmm, historically, then he uses the word Ishwar, then you can understand who is his conception of Ishwar. Hmm? Patanjali is a student of Vyas. Vyas is the compiler of the Bhagavad. His conception of Ishwar was Krishna, hmm? who calls himself the Yogishwar in Bhagavad Gita, which is also a classic text on yoga. Hmm? Yogishwar means the, the, the master, Ishwar means master, the master of yoga. Ishwar means a name for God, the controller, who's got everything under control. Just like we would like to be, have everything under control. <laughs> we could come under the control of the one who has control, that would be better, because he's a, his control is by love, by affection. So, at any rate, the Paramatma. If you study, there's a path for attaining Brahman, feature of the God. There's a path for attaining Paramatma. Hmm? That's called yoga. That's outlined in Yoga Sutra. Hmm? As Krishna Namacharya said, the guru of two of the most prominent um, yoga teachers in the West, what are their names? Patabi Joyce and Iyengar. Hmm? He said, the goal of yoga is Vaikuntham. Hmm? Vaikuntha here means Shantarasa, a kind of sitting hmm? in transcendence that constitutes a meditation on, to use a Catholic term, the beatific vision. No movement, no action, but just the beauty of the Ishwar, hmm? the Yogeshwar, hmm? to be absorbed in that kind of vision. Hmm? Shanta, Shanta means peaceful, Shanta means it implies no, no movement. Hmm? It's kind of a very kind of a um, it's kind of a, a type of love, hmm? a type of 
um, love that has involves no taking, <coughs> no exploitation. Um, so this is so 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 if, therefore in yoga, for example, in yoga, in Ashtanga yoga, we learn to control our mind, our senses, hmm? both our knowledge acquiring senses and our active senses. If you become good at it, you can control your digestion, your liver. Hmm? You can heal different parts of your body hmm? in ways that doctors can't. You can diagnose yourself. And it's a very, it, it, it's a great uh, uh, art of mastery. Hmm? So it's like to be omniscient about the functions of the body hmm? and to know the self which is different from the body, and to use the body in such a way as to facilitate the liberation of the self, hmm? to come, to get out of your head, so to speak. <laughs> That's a good idea. To get out of your head. You will not know, it's not by thinking that you will know. But if you could learn to stop thinking, oh, you would know so much more. Hmm? So knowing hmm, is actually the, the, the main feature in one sense. I mean it in a positive sense of yoga sadhana. Hmm? And of course, there's being in there, eternal being, and there's some loving because there's another. Hmm? There's the Yogeshwar. There's the beatific vision. There's something I'm observing. Hmm? That I'm, that my, my source, I'm looking at my source. Hmm? Yoga is dualistic. Hmm? Ganmarg is, 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 tends to be monistic. To enter into Brahman. And there's one, there's no other. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Hmm. In yoga, there's some movement, little movement. Hmm? It's allowed, you know, a little movement. <laughs> so, just to make the point. Now, that is Paramatma. Hmm? Now, your question is, that Paramatma, Paramatma means the, kind of like the oversoul, to use, again, Western word, the soul and the oversoul. So, it's the cognitive feature of the Absolute who knows everything. Therefore, the Paramatma is said to be inside of every atom. Hmm? They haven't found him yet. He's smaller than a cork hmm? and bigger than the whole multiverse, which poetically is said to have emanated from the pore holes of his body, millions of many pores as on a body of universes are coming out. Hmm? And he enters into the, every universe and every atom and every atma. Hmm? So he knows everything. You connect with him, you can know everything. Hmm? Some people think that's that's desirable. Hmm? So there's a sadhana for that. Hmm? Now, at the same time, this paramatma is a feature, as they say, a particular face of the Godhead hmm? that's primarily uh, speaks to us about the chit, the knowing. Hmm? We go from there to Ananda. Hmm? What face of the Absolute is focused on Ananda? That is Bhagwan. Hmm? There's a difference between Paramatma and Bhagwan. Both are faces of, of the Godhead. The Paramatma is in every atom, in every heart, we say. Hmm? So he's like equal to everyone equal to everyone. Hmm? We should think that spiritual life requires some 
absence of bias and prejudice, which will not allow us to be objective. Hmm? If we're attached to something, then we can't see it for what it is. Hmm? You're attached to some guy, and I can see he's bad for you, but you're attached, you can't see it. And even if we tell you, well, you're in denial about it, for example. So you get to attach to something, it obscures the objectivity and your ability to understand a thing accurately. So spiritual life in a basic sense requires some detachment hmm? and the ob- objectivity that allows us to see the difference theoretically between the self and matter and then pursue a methodology for realizing the self. Hmm? So, so as I said, yoga is for that and the Paramatma is the kind of the deity, if you will, of the Yoga Sutra, the Ishwar. Hmm? But he is a face of Bhagwan who by contrast, is partial. That's very odd. Because we just said spiritual life has to in- involve impartiality. If I'm, just like a politician, if I'm the president of Costa Rica, then I cannot be purchased by all the different corporations, hmm? ideally. Hmm? <laughs> Otherwise, I won't be able to impartially represent all the citizens. Hmm? I'll be bought and paid for. So a yogi cannot be bought and paid for. A yogi or a yogini, she or he has to be detached. Hmm? Hmm? Now, that objectivity and that detachment, hmm, it allows us to love everyone, for example, equally. Instead of, I love her, but I don't love him. Hmm? I love my kids, but I don't love the neighbor kids. So if I look at it, one side of the coin is love, the other side is, I don't love. Which is it? Hmm? So to love everyone and equally, hmm, we have to take a step back from our attachments uh, and see people for what they are and so forth. So the renunciation, the the attachment, is really a step towards loving, although it looks like a backward step, away from people sometimes and things. Hmm? It's to then interact with them in terms of what they are, rather than what our attachment for them caused us to think they were objects to fulfill our fantasies or needs in some way. Hmm? So, so this being unbiased, detached, this is part of spiritual life. Now I just said that Bhagwan, the face of the God that focuses on Ananda, love, is full of attachment. So what can that be? Hmm? But this means in the in the subjective world, in the realm of consciousness, hmm? Hmm? there is attachment. This is very peculiar. In other words, some devotees, they love Ram. Hmm? Ram, Ram. Some love Krishna. Hmm? These are different faces of Bhagwan. Hmm? There's a story. You know Hanuman? The monkey servitor of Ram? Hmm? Hanuman, he came to Dwarka where Krishna was. Hmm? And what happened? Krishna's... Krishna was in... Yeah, you heard the story. So Krishna was in, in Dwarka and his carrier, the, the bird Garuda, hmm, was sent by Krishna. Go and ask Hanuman. There's a devotee named Hanuman. Hmm? Go and tell him that I asked for him. I'd like, like to see him. So Garuda is a very devoted servant of Krishna, so he flies over. He meets Hanuman and he says, 
Are you Hanuman? Yes, I'm Hanuman. A Krishna would like to see you. He says, okay, well, tell him I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> and Guru is thinking, what kind of devotee is that? Hmm? So he flies back. Hmm? And Krishna says, where's Hanuman? Hmm? And Guru says, well, he said he'd be here in a minute. I mean, I don't know what kind of devotee that is. You'd think he'd, he'd hop on, you know, and I'd fly him right over to you. Hmm? <laughs> He said, I'm gonna, you know, I've got something to do, I'll get, I'll get to him later, you know. So what kind of devotee is this? Krishna said, oh, okay, well, do this, fly back, hmm, and tell him Ram wants to see him, hmm. So Garuda flies back and says, Ram now is in Dwarka, he wants to see you. So Ranaman, so, so, so Hanuman says, okay, tell him I'll be there in a minute. And he's now bewildered, more. Meanwhile, Garuda is flying back, <laughs> flying back, Guruda is flying back to Krishna. Ram is coming the other way, chanting, Ram. He's known to be able to leap long distances, Hanuman. Hmm? So Guruda is going back to Krishna, thinking, why didn't Hanuman come with me? Hmm? And when he's halfway back, he sees Hanuman going this way, saying, Ram. Hmm? The idea is, when he said, Ram wants to see you, and Hanuman's a devotee of Ram. He thought, I'm not going to take the slow boat on the back of Garuda. I'll just jump over there. Hmm? <laughs> he immediately jumped, and Garuda was, you know, flying back. He jumped there, and he was coming back the other way before Garuda could even get there. Hmm? <laughs> so this is a way of depicting hmm, a kind of a very beautiful bias, if you will, hmm, within the subjective world. So some devotees of Ram, some are devotees of Krishna, and the other avatars, faces of Bhagawan, hmm, with whom we can have Leela. With the Paramatma, you cannot have Leela. Hmm? You asked me, the Paramatma is in this world, but is he in, the, is he in that world? He's the overseer of this world. Paramatma means not even Samanda. Yeah, yeah. But Paramatma... The oversoul of the world hmm, is overseeing the world, hmm? and on the other side, if you will, in 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 city in perfection of yoga sadhana, this paramatma enters into Narayan. Hmm? Hmm? There he's he's seen, but he's not moving. He has no. Real Leela for the Shantaras Yogi, hmm? Hmm? who's who 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 has om- omniscience like like the Paramatma. Hmm? So, meanwhile, the Paramatma is a partial manifestation of the personal feature of the Absolute. The full personal feature is Bhagwan. He has Leela, movement. Hmm? And from Shanta, they go to Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhurya. Therefore, Krishna can be loved in all these ways, like you would love a master rather than just to sit, hmm? but interact with the master, like you could love a friend, hmm? like you could love a dependent, even a child, or like you could love a lover. Hmm? Therefore, Krishna is called Rasaraj, who is that, that manifestation of divinity who can accept all kinds of love hmm? directed at him. Therefore, the perfect object of love Hmm? So Bhagwan, hmm, who has many forms, Krishna being kind of the heart, hmm, then he has many forms, which he accepts service in bhakti and love. Hmm? 
is the feature of the Absolute that corresponds more with Ananda. So in Ananda, in love, in the full face of love, there is bias. Hmm? If I love you, then I love the people that you love, too. And if people don't love you, I don't love them. Hmm? This is peculiar because, materially speaking, as I said, that could be a problem. If you rise to neutrality and detachment and objectivity, hmm, and now you go deep into the world of subjectivity, hmm, there's movement, there's interaction between the Atma and Bhagwan in Leela, and love, hmm, and exchange, and there's bias. Hmm. I love Ram, I love Krishna, I love Narayan, but that bias isn't a problem, hmm, like it is here. Hmm. Because Ram, Krishna, Narayan, they're all the same person. <laughs> they're all actually the same person. Hmm. So they're all loving the same person in slightly different nuanced ways, and the nuance of the love... Hmm, is what the form of Bhagwan corresponds with. Hmm? So in the Bhakti tradition, we, we cultivate a particular a, a particular kind of love for Bhagwan, and there's a corresponding, corresponding face of Bhagwan to interact with. And I want to say this in conclusion, that a feature of the Absolute that focuses on Ananda, hmm, rather than Sat and Chit, which has Sat and Chit, but the focus is Ananda, See, Ananda means love means means there have to be two, right? And they have to be not just two looking at one another, but two interacting really meaningfully and in, in penetrating one another hmm? entirely. Hmm? This is the idea of Leela. is a kind of movement in transcendence that can look like the movement in the world of karma, but it's very different. Hmm? Karmic movement is movement out of a perceived necessity. I feel empty. I need something. I'm moving to get it. Hmm? The more you move, the more the, the more you take, the more you owe. It's a problem. Hmm? Movement in Leela is a movement out of fullness. To give a numerical example, karma is like moving in negative numbers. Like, let's say you borrow money from the bank, you think, now I've got $100,000. Wow. But if you read the fine print, you owe, you know, $500,000. It just, just went down, actually. So when we, in the world of, of karma, hmm, taking, there's owing. Hmm. So every movement is a kind of taking, and it, along with it comes a debt. So that's in negative numbers. Now, some traditions say, get out of the negative numbers, come to zero. Now, zero is very positive in relation to negative numbers, right? Zero is better than not minus ten. Hmm? It's a f- kind of a fullness of emptiness that's uh, sometimes talked about. In bhakti, however, we're talking about positive numbers beyond zero. Are there any positive numbers? That's a very curious thought. Hmm? Some people can only think this far. Let's extinguish the negative numbers. That is a problem. Hmm? And the karma, which I'm moving according to, because I owe, off to work I go. Hmm? So stop that. Be peaceful. Sit. Still. Quiet. Zero. Hmm? But the thinking in our tradition is, is there any movement in, in transcendence? This is the idea of Leela. Hmm? And so a loving existence, as we said earlier, if there's a loving existence, 
It must be a knowing existence and it must be a being existence or it must exist. Hmm? So this is the reasoning by which we arrive at the idea that the Bhagawan feature is the full face of the Godhead. Hmm? And while the existence and the knowing is smaller, and to make a very Gaudiya point, in Vrindavan where Krishna Leela is performed, it looks very small there. Hmm? The existence seems very small, and the knowing seems very limited also. Hmm? Hmm? The gopis, for example, the milkmaidens, they don't know the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? They know how to milk a cow. Hmm? They live in a in, in a jungle like here. Hmm? It's not a really, really like built up metropolitan area with an army and uh, military industrial complex to fortify the existence and so forth. Hmm? It looks very local and very small. Brahman looks very big, big, big. It's everywhere. Space, accommodating. I get out of the small world of my mind and turn to Brahman, unlimited space. Hmm? But we say that Vrindavan Leela is bigger because it's bigger by affection. Hmm? You don't want just space, you want affection. Hmm? Yes. If you with someone you love, you could live inside of a, a cave, right? It didn't matter. And it could be raining out, it wouldn't matter. Hmm? Hmm? Affection is more spacious, more accommodating. You understand? So the way this is depicted in the Leela, hmm? Krishna Leela looks very small. Hmm? He looks medium size. Hmm? Looks like, well, some blue guy, you know. <laughs> He's herding cows and what's this all about? This is what it's all about. Hmm? It's saying that in, in, a, in a truly loving existential, transcendental reality, hmm? in a full sense of the term loving, the existential and the knowing aspects will be diminished. Hmm? But, at the same time, a loving existence is the best existence, and loving is the most comprehensive knowing. Hmm? So, does that help? It's quite a, quite a long answer there, and complicated, but... <laughs> but the Paramatma is one face of the Godhead. We have our origins in the Paramatma, but through the Paramatma come many avatars. Hmm? Give us the opportunity for bhakti that we can meet Bhagwan, hmm? the full face, the full person of the Godhead. So we look at it like this, the world is a person. It's just not us. Think about that. Because we tend to think the world is a person and it's me, and that we tend to think everything's for me. You see everything through the lens of what I think I am hmm? and how it will serve my purpose and so forth. Hmm? So the world is a person. It's just not you. Hmm? It's Krishna. And you're part and parcel of the Krishna. You're one of the shaktis of Krishna. We are. Hmm? So we have a relationship with our source. Relationship is, well, if we're being sustained and maintained... A little appreciation would be good. <laughs> and appreciation, gratitude is just like a beginning of loving. Hmm? So if we should live with gratitude, hmm? after all, 
many things are provided for us, even for our material life, right? If the sun didn't come up tomorrow, well, it would be a problem, but it keeps coming up. Hmm? So in the yogic world, in Hindu world, of course, there's there's veneration of everything. Hmm? Every, everybody's a guru, except me. Hmm? Worshipping the sun and and the moon that makes the vegetables succulent and and uh, the tree that may give shelter in the forest and in the rain or from the cold or give you shade from the heat and it's a very worshipable idea, veneration of nature and it's said if you love someone they'll tell you all their secrets. So this is a life of and that nature will tell us a secret, that nature will tell us I have a soul and it's you. Hmm? And you can realize that and know and experience an existence that is much more meaningful, profound, in which many more possibilities arise than in the objective world. Anything else? One sense, Paramahansa related with Guru, like Chaitanya Guru. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. Um, in one sense, but in the Bhakti tradition, this Paramatma is not of much interest to us. Bhagwan is of interest to us, hmm? and so because. You see, the Paramatma is a neutral feature, objective feature. Hmm? And Bhagwan is not like that. <laughs> like Krishna, he's, he, he fell in love with Radha, so hmm? he's a fallen person. He's like us. So in our tradition, this Paramatma feature, instead of God is in everyone's heart, we want to take him out and put Krishna there. Put Bhagavan in everybody's heart, uh-huh. in our heart. Hmm? So, but the Guru then is a representation of this, of of Sakshat Prajnanandan, Krishna. Hmm? Hmm? You see, Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Devi said, "Nadanam nadanam nasundarim kavitamba jagadishakamaye." He said, "Nadanam nadanam nasundarim kavitamba." He said, "I don't want any wealth, any followers, and don't need a partner." emotional partner. Hmm? I don't need any kabitamba. I don't need any of the knowledge of the world, even the fine arts and and all such things. Hmm? I have no desire for any of these things. Nadanam, nadanam, nasundarim, kabitamba, jagadisha kamaye. And jagadish means jagat, the world. Ish means the controller, the paramatma. And he says, I don't really have any need for the paramatma either. Hmm? Jagadisha kamaye. Hmm? The, jugged, the Paramatma is, oversees the world where everybody's got these desires. He's just witnessing it all. Hmm? The Atma is said to go from one body to another like a bird goes from one tree to another. Hmm? And the Paramatma goes with him. Hmm? And one tree has some bitter fruits and sweet fruits and the Paramatma sanctions. Yes, you oh. can take that one. Yes, you could take that one if you want. Hmm? He's neutral, but he sanctions. And then it becomes possible for us to accomplish something. Just like we have will, so let's say we plant seeds, we want we want to grow something. But then we need rain and sun for that to happen. So we have some will, but 
without the will of God, the overarching will of God, it won't happen. So the Paramatma is seeing to that, so to speak. He's a witness. Hmm? The Mahaprabhu says, Jagadish Kamaye, this Jagadish who rules over the calm, desire, I have no desire for him because I have no desire for anything in the world. So he whose position is to control the world and witness and sanction and oversee the karma and so forth, I have nothing to do with that because I don't have any karma anymore. I have no desire, so I have no karma. Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kabitamba Jagadisha Kamaye Mama Janmani Janmanishpare He says I don't even want I don't even I'm not even concerned with getting mukti getting freedom from birth and death I only want bhakti Mama Janmani Janmanishpare Janma means birth Mama Janmani Janmanishpare I don't want I don't even I'm not even concerned for for freedom liberation from mukti freedom from birth and death hmm? I have, uh, I have, I'm only interested in Mama Janmani, Janman Ishvare, Babatad, Ishvare, Babatad, Bhakti, Rahaita, Kitui. I'm only interested in Bhakti for Bhakti's sake in relation to a particular Ishwar, the Pran Ishwar. Hmm? Pran means who's now the Lord of my life. That means some bias, you understand? Hmm? I love him. Hmm? The Lord of my life. This is not like Paramatma, the Lord of my life. No. There's, a, there's like a very different relationship you can have with Paramatma. Like this. There's not a lot of feeling there. Hmm? Like Hanuman had for Ram. Hmm? Ram. You know. Hmm? So Mahaprabhu says, I'm done with the world. In me they have no desire. Hmm? So I have no need for the Paramatma. Hmm? Rather, that which he is an emanation of, a partial manifestation of, Bhagwan, in a particular way, according to my bhakti, he's in my heart. Hmm? And I and I have taste only for 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 for, for loving and serving him in a particular way. Hmm? This is called ruchi, hmm? who has a taste. This is the stage in our practice when the medicine becomes the food. You understand me? Now we sit, we chant, because it's medicine. Hmm? Now imagine if you could sit and chant like it was your food. When do we eat? When can I chant? Hmm? Can we chant more? Hmm? <laughs> you feel like that. Hmm? And you derive taste from that. It becomes your eating. It becomes your food. It's no longer medicine. First stage, it's medicine. You have to deconstruct the ego. Hmm? As it's deconstructed in the context of bhakti, the real self comes out in relation to Bhagwan. A particular face of Bhagwan, the Pranishwar, this is bhakti. Hmm? Now it becomes food. Hmm? And as you, you practice with taste, then spiritual emotion starts to come. Then it becomes attachment hmm? to a particular face of Bhagwan like Krishna. Hmm? Mahaprabhu said, what did he say? Ainanda Tanuja Kinkaram Patitama Mishamebam Budo. This is attachment, asakti, to the object of love. Hmm? Then one enters into bhakti and ecstasy. Rather than bhakti in practice. Hmm? Bhakti and ecstasy. This will bring bhakti and love of God. Well, this is a little bit about our lineage and our practice. What else? Was the time now? Ten to eight. Okay, a little late. So, 
it's very nice of you to come and so to come from distance, my old friend, for, for as long as I can remember being alive, practically. <laughs> Since I met my guru, my life started, and you were there shortly thereafter, Los Angeles, right? So, very nice to see you again, and all these other nice people are here because of you. Uh, isn't it? Ramesh Prabhu ki jai. Ujapasribhatripurabhimaras ki jai. Ujapasribhatripurabhimaras ki jai.